Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible. Today we're going to be looking at a story, perhaps one of the most famous stories in the Bible. We're going to be looking at the story of the prodigal son, right? Everybody heard of that one before? However, that's not the best name for the story. Anybody, anybody who's heard this story, right, you've heard it your whole life growing up, and we've heard it's called the prodigal son. The prodigal son, it's about this son who leaves and comes back home. You know, he's the prodigal son. But that's really not a good name for this story. The reality is there are two sons in this story, and to get the full picture, you've got to know about what's going on with both of them. So we're going to look at that this morning, and this is, this is such a familiar story for us that this serves as a good illustration, really, of just how much we take our Bibles for granted, all right? And let me explain to you what I mean. Most of us have heard this story so many times growing up, and we assume that because we, we've never really looked deeper than the service, that this story is an example of God telling people that you can never really go too far away for me to save you, right? Like that's what we would assume this story is about, right? Right? Because there's this son who, who runs far off from home and spurns his father and he ends up in the lowest point possible. And what we assume that it means is that at some point it just means that God, you can never run too far from God. That, and that's what most of us have heard our whole lives. But that's not the point of this story. All too often we're content to take, a, to take the first glance at the Bible and never really dig any deeper than, than the surface. And we miss a lot of what, what God's trying to offer us through the Bible. If we take a look, deeper look at this story this morning, the story of these two sons, Jesus is going to give us a treasure chest that will change the way we live and add value to our life. All right? Did you catch that? If we, if we look deeper than the surface, if we're willing to dig a little bit deeper in this story and really in our Bibles every day, Jesus is looking to give us something that will change the way we live our lives and add value to them. Okay, I, want you, I really want you to get that as we're starting this morning. Because let me, let me just use an illustration for you. If you were walking around, uh, some of you guys are farmers, some of, you, some of y'all are plowing gardens right now, so getting that time. If you were walking around in your garden one day, and under the surface of the dirt, you kind of caught a glimpse of it, and you kind of kicked the dirt off, and you got to dig in a little bit more, and there was a treasure chest, and you opened that treasure chest up, and there was unsearchable amounts of treasure in this, in this chest. Like it was just worth millions and millions. If you found that, would it not change your, the way you live your life and add value to it? It would. And what I want you to realize this morning is that when we hold the Bible in our hands, when somebody gets up here to preach the Bible, what you hold in your hands is a treasure chest that if you're willing to go with me for just a few minutes, your, your life might change and it might add value to your life if you're willing to go through the Bible with me this morning. I pray in this morning that you are. But check this out. You're going to have to be willing to dig a little bit deeper. You're going to have to be willing to stay here with me and, and ask God to dig under that dirt a little bit and ask God to speak to you this morning. And so I've been praying all week as we start this story, I've been praying that you would be willing to, to just ask God to turn up the dirt of your heart this morning so you could go a little bit deeper and we could find out what God is trying to teach us through this story. So first thing you've got to understand as we're going into this, though, is to understand that what Jesus is trying to do in this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, you've got to understand who Jesus is telling this story to. So if you've got a Bible, look at Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 1 and 2. We're going to read verse 1 and 2 really quick, and this is what it says. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners, all right, these are the, these are the sinners. These are the bad people, right? These are the people we look at and say these are, the, these are the bad folks, the tax collectors and sinners. Nobody liked these people. We're all drawing near to hear him. They're coming up to Jesus. Jesus is preaching and the tax collectors and the sinners, they're drawing near. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So see the setting before, before we even look at the story. See what's happened, okay? Jesus is preaching, and I'm assuming that Jesus is an awesome preacher. Like, I, I don't know that, uh, I, I'm, but I'm just assuming that if you're also God in the flesh, you can preach pretty well, right? So the, naturally, crowds were coming to Jesus, okay? And so he's about to preach, and the sinners are trying to get as close as they can to hear what Jesus has to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the church folks. These are the folks that, we, like we said, they, these are the good people. Like, let's be honest, we are a lot like these people. And these church folks look on, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're saying, why does he receive sinners? Why is he okay with them come, getting so close to him? Why is he okay with associating with them? So you've got to see that question. You've got to see that they're asking a question. Why is he like this? Why is Jesus doing what he's doing? Why is he okay with this? Because Jesus is going to tell us a story to answer this question. The prodigal, story, the prodigal son is a story to answer this question. And get this, this story is going to teach us about life. So my life, what does it matter? How can I relate to God? What should I do? And it's also going to teach us about God. Jesus is telling us a story to teach us about God the Father. And listen, why does this matter? If Jesus is going to teach us about God, if Jesus is going to teach us about life, I just want to encourage you, you would be wise to listen to whatever Jesus has to say. If Jesus wants to sit you down and tell you what God is like, you really should think about listening because what a person believes about God is the single most important thing about them. I want, to, I want to make sure you know that. What you believe about God, I want to make sure you understand this, will impact the way you live your life more than anything else in this world. What a person believes about God determines how they live, who they associate with, who they marry, how they raise their kids, how they speak, what they do for a living. What a person believes about God determines everything about somebody. Because what you believe about God in your heart is the what you act on in everyday life. And this story, Jesus wants to teach us about God. So as we start this, be sure that you're listening for Jesus to tell you something about God. What is he trying to show you? I love what A.W. Tozer said about this, about somebody knowing God. A.W. Tozer was like one of the smartest people who ever lived. He just sat in a room all day and just prayed and talked to God. And then God would, I think, come out of clouds and talk to him because he wrote all kind of great stuff. And this is what he said about somebody knowing God. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He actually goes on to say that no person has ever risen above what they thought about God. So you know what that's saying? You, what, what is my life going to be like? What determines that is what, what you believe in your heart about God. Many of you are here today, and listen to me, many of you are here, and your life is seemingly falling apart. And if it's not falling apart right now, it was last month, or it will be next month, right? 
Like it's just constantly, you feel like, let's be honest, you feel like you can't keep it together. Like it's, it's like it's one of those things, a blanket, a sleeping bag, you're trying to stuff back in the bag. Anybody ever try to done that, do that? And you just can't do it, right? Like you just keep stuffing it in there and like you, you try to zip it up and it's always a little piece popping out. And before you get done, you get mad and you throw things, right? And a lot of you, that's how you live your life. It's always falling apart, and you're just trying to keep it all together. And life is hard, and you have no idea how to deal with it. I want to encourage you with this as we're starting today. Your life will never have an ounce of peace when you do not have an adequate view of who God is. I'm convinced that the reason many of us never live lives that glorify Christ, I'm convinced that the reason many of us come to church every Sunday and don't leave changed is because we have yet to actually meet God. That's why this matters. This story matters more than I can possibly get the point across to you today. So I want to, uh, before we read this story, I want I want to tell y'all my outline. Is that okay with y'all? I have to, yeah, I have to kind of encourage y'all a little bit. I'm going to tell y'all my outline. What what I want y'all to see through this story. First thing I want you to see from the story is that in this story, we see that there are, two ty- there are two ways that we can relate to God. Now, understand this. Everybody relates to God one of these ways. There are no exceptions. You, might, you cannot sit here today and say, I'm not in this story. Jesus told this story in such a way that everybody who's sitting here would understand that I'm one of these two sons. So I want you to see that from the start. The first thing I want you to see is two ways all people relate to God. The second thing I want you to see, and this may be the most important part of the message, the second thing I want you to see is that the heart, I want you to see the heart of God the Father. I want you to see what God the Father feels and acts upon and thinks about when he looks at you. I want you to see that this morning. And then the third thing, last thing I'm going to close with this morning, is I want you to see the kind of heart that we should have, that we should possess to please God. Okay, so... With that in mind, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want you to say, I want you to look at verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11, and we're going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to go back to my Baptist roots this morning. We're going to stand up and we're going to read the Bible together. All right, so let's stand up in honor of God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. This is what the Word of God says. And he said, there was a man, so Jesus starts telling the story. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while his father, while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son begins his speech. He says, 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The word there, they literally began to party. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look! These many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. God, I believe that your word has power. God, I believe that, dear God, not one word that I speak this morning can save somebody or change somebody's heart, but, dear God, I believe that your word can. So, dear Lord, I'm just... I'm just praying and pleading with you, Father God, this morning. Would you come through the word that you have spoken by the power of your Holy Spirit and speak into the lives of your people? Dear God, I pray. Dear God, that like sheep under the great shepherd, dear God, our hearts would go the direction that you want them to go this morning. God, I pray that I would not utter one word that displeases you. And Jesus, I just thank you for the privilege of opening your word, dear God. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word, will ne- my word will never pass away. Thank you, God, for that promise. And I just pray that you would work among us today. And all God's people said, amen. Y'all may be seated. So let's go ahead and jump right in here this morning. We got a lot of work to get done, and we and I like it's already eleven thirty-three, and we just need to get going really fast. So let, let's go. Let's go with this. First thing I want you to see from this story this morning is that there are two ways that all people that have ever been born have tried to relate to God right off the bat. Okay, you tracking with me? Two ways that all people can relate to God. And so what you got to understand is that Jesus told this, this story to the tax collectors and the Pharisees, and in the story, the tax collectors and the sinners were represented by the younger brother, right? They were the ones who had been sinful their whole life, and they had spurned God. And the older brothers is the, tax, is the uh, Pharisees and the scribes. So the church people are the older brother, the sinners are the younger brothers. Everybody tracking with that? And now what's really important as we're reading God's Word is that we understand that we're one of these two people as well. So as as we start today, as we go through the Bible today, if you really want to uncover something from this text, you need to be asking yourself, who am I more like? And so here's the crazy thing. Sometimes we go into a week knowing what we're going to preach. Sometimes we go into a week not knowing what we're going to preach. This week, I didn't know that I was going to preach Luke chapter 15. And all week long, God has just been torturing me with this passage. So I'm praying this morning that you find out a lot about yourself, just like I've been finding out a lot about myself, okay? But we're going to get to that in just a second. The first, kind of, the first way that, a sin, that uh, somebody relates to God, there are two ways. The first way is by sinful rejection by sinful rejection. Look at verses 11 through 14. The Bible says that the younger son came to his father and said, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming. And then not many days later, 
the son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and squandered all of his money in reckless living, spent everything. And that's a symbolic, that's a symbolic uh, uh, sentence for how people relate to God the Father, okay? Just like this younger son spurned God, rejected God, turned from God to sin, that's how some people relate to God. And the reality is that's probably how most people relate to God. This type of person is the, who is, instead of seeking after God, turns away from Him and lives the kind of life that they want to live. Never mind what God the Father says. Never mind what he says is right. But this person, this person always lives with God in the background. They know what they, they may even know what God demands. They may even know what God's word says they should do. But in their heart, they don't look at God and have enough love to actually obey what he says. Okay? Does that make sense? They know God. They know what he's saying. But they don't love him enough. They don't find enough care in their hearts to do what he says. This is a lifestyle of blatant disrespect toward God. This is what the younger son does to the father, right? He blatantly disrespects him. I don't know if you can catch this, but in verse 12, where he comes to the father, he says, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now, when do people, when do people usually get property that's coming to them? When somebody dies, right? This guy goes to his dad while he's still alive and is like, hey, give me what's coming to me. This is basically the younger son going to the father and like, listen, I don't really care anything about you, but you got a nice truck. If you could just die and give me your truck, that would be fine by me. I don't care anything about you. I just like what you have. This is, this is crazy disrespectful. Imagine some of you have kids. Imagine that you, that you come in. One day, and you've been working all day to, like, get food on the table for your kids and make sure they have the clothes they need to wear. And you got a, your 10-year-old walks up to you and says, how much is your life insurance policy? And you say, well, son, my life insurance policy is $100,000. You'll get that when I die. Could you go ahead and give it to me now? Like, you, you just cooked supper for this kid, and he's asking you to die? Can you imagine the amount of disrespect that's in, that's in this kid's heart as he comes to God? And listen. The reality is that in the story, this, this son should have been disowned on the spot. He should have, in this day and time, you didn't disrespect your father like this. He could have been kicked out of the house. But we relate to God the same way when we say, God, we want you to bless us. We want you to give us health. We want you to give us wealth. We want you to give us prosperity and take care of our kids and take care of everything we got going on. But I don't really care enough about you to do what you say in return, right? We say, I, I want you to bless me, but I'm really not going to obey you. That's the kind of relationship that this son had with the father. And that's how a lot of us treat God, if we're honest. God, I know you're there, and I know what you say is right, but I would rather do things my way. I just want, God, could you just bless me and not, and not put anything on me? I don't really want to obey your rules. This is also a lifestyle of not trusting God enough to satisfy us. This is what the younger son shows his father. He shows him that he doesn't think he's good enough to give him satisfaction in his life. He goes to his father and he says, I need what you owe me. That way I can go out and find happiness. This is how we treat God when we come to God and we say, listen, God, I, I don't think you're good enough to make me happy in this life. I, I, you've got all these rules and I don't think you're looking out for me. You say I can't have premarital sex. I want to have premarital sex. You say that I shouldn't get drunk getting drunk with my friends is the only thing i know god i don't trust you enough to satisfy me 
That's what the younger son does here to the older father. To the father. We say, he's saying, I don't trust you enough to take care of me. How many times in our life do we say we know what God says for us, and we know that he probably wants the best for us, but we just don't trust him enough to actually do it? We say, God, I, 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 can't, I don't understand that, God. I, I, can't, I can't get over that, God. Listen, the most insulting thing that you could ever say to the God who created everything is that you're not good enough to satisfy me. I can find better things elsewhere. Then the last thing I want you to see about this lifestyle is this is a lifestyle of pursuing sin. Look in verse 13. It says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. That word reckless there, it, it can also be defined as riotous. It can also be defined as uh, somebody who is literally throwing off all restraint. Basically, he's, I want you to think he's living a rock star lifestyle. He's thinking sex, he's thinking drugs, and he's thinking rock and roll, right? Some of you grew up in that area. Y'all are like, yeah, I know what he's talking about, okay? He's, he's throwing off all restraint here. I want you to picture Mardi Gras. I, I, don't know, I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but right, I've only heard stories, and I, I mean, it's just sounds, it sounds ridiculous, right? This is the kind of lifestyle that this man is living. He is actively pursuing sin. This kind of person, and I want, to, I want to relate it to us now. I want, I want you to see if this is the kind of person. Think about, is this how I treat God? This is the kind of person who looks at God and says, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to sleep who I want to sleep with. I'm going to spend my money on what I want to spend my money on. I'm going to do whatever I want to because I know better. How many of us think we know better than God? This kind of person that says, I don't care about you, just give me your stuff, and I'll do it my way. Listen, I told you guys a couple weeks ago that the anthem of hell, the, the, there were going to be a bunch of people in hell, and their anthem was going to be the Frank Sinatra song. Anybody know that song I told you, I'll do it my way? Listen, I, I, know, I, I know maybe I'm like, maybe I should have been born in a different era, but I love this song. Listen to the lyrics of this song. I went and found all the lyrics. It says this, And now the end is near, and so I'll face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. You don't think this younger son lived a life that was full? He probably had some stories, like stories that would dwarf anybody's stories in here. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. I did it my way. Regrets, I have a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each chartered course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. The kind of person who this younger son is, is the kind of person who knows what's right, who, could pro who probably knows a lot about God, probably has even come to church with God before. But when they leave this room, they do not trust God enough to actually follow his word and do what he says. Because why? We want to do it our way. But here's the thing I want you to see about this kind of lifestyle. And some of you, if we're honest, are actively pursuing this kind of lifestyle. You know what I'm talking about because you're actively caught up in this. You live this kind of lifestyle. Look, but here's what I want you to see about this kind of lifestyle. The first thing that we see from a sinful lifestyle is this. It never satisfies. Look at verse 16. It says, he was feeding the pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. He is feeding pigs slop, and he's looking at the pig food saying, I would love to be able to eat that. And you know what? He was so low that nobody would even give him the pig food. 
Sin always leaves you broken. It always leaves you hungry. And it always leaves you wanting more. The reality is many of us know that feeling. Many of us know that sin always promises more than it can deliver. Sin promises peace, but it brings destruction. Sin promises fulfillment, but it brings emptiness. Sin promises satisfaction, but only leaves you longing for more and more and more. And that's where the son finds himself in this story. He has pursued sin to the farthest degree, and now he is longing to eat from the pig trough. Sin leaves you broken. And I want to plead with some of you this morning. Some of you think that you know better than God and that you should live life the way you want to live life. And I want to plead with you that if you go down that highway, it will not lead you anywhere but to a broken reality. Sin leaves you broken. It also leaves you enslaved. Look at, verses, look at verse 15. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Check this out. This guy, at one point, was probably richer than anybody in this country. He didn't work for anybody. He had people that worked for him. The thought that he would go feed a pig, would have pro- he would have probably laughed at that thought. But yet, he finds himself enslaved to somebody else. Hire as a hired hand, saying, I'll do whatever you want, just don't let me starve. And when you pursue sin, I want you to realize this, that you become a slave to sin. Whether it be to alcohol, to drugs, to sex, to pornography, whatever it is, when you pursue those things, be rest assured that they take their own prisoners. And you think you've got control over it, but what the reality is is you're in a jail cell that's four foot by four foot and you can't get out of it because you've pursued sin, just like his younger son. Then there's the, that's the first way we relate to God. So sinful rejection, some people just cast, cast, cast God off. Then there's another way. Another way that some people try to relate to God is they try to relate to God through a moral lifestyle. Everybody know what it means to be moral? It means you're a good person, right? How many of y'all just feel like, man, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fairly good person, right? I, I, I'm doing okay. This kind of person that relates to God like the older brother relates to the father in the story. This is the kind of person who tries to please God by following all the rules and being a good person. They think, and y'all have heard me say this before, this kind of person thinks, if I can just be good enough, when I die, I'll go to heaven. If I can just follow the rules good enough. But here's what you've got to understand. If you're this kind of person and you're living your life saying the most important thing I can do is I just need to do what God says and I always need to be a good person and I always need to be obeying the rules and then when I die, God will let me into heaven. If that's the way you think this morning, this is what I want you to realize. You don't view God as a father. You view God as a slave master. Look at verse 29 and this is how the, younger, the older son viewed the father. Look at verse 29. He says, he says, uh, 29 he says but he answered his father look these many years i have served you he tells his father i have always been doing this this is not a word that that a father would use with a son in those days this is a word that a slave used with a master when a master came and gave him orders the slave said i I will serve you this is that kind of word where the the son's not looking to the father and saying dad i love you you're my best friend i just want to do anything for you i want to i want to serve you i want to please you i want to make you happy this is not that kind of relationship this is the kind of relationship where the father's coming to the son and he's saying son I need you to go feed the cows today. And he's saying, yes, master, I will go feed the cows today. Listen, those of you who have children, that's not the kind of relationship you want with your kid, am I right? 
Like how many of you, you have a kid and that just makes your heart fill up with joy when they say, yes, Father, I will do exactly as you please, exactly how you said it. Like some of you are like, I wish my kid would be that way, right? But no, that, you're, not, you're not honored when your child does what they're supposed to do because they're scared of you or because they just want what you have to offer them. This is the kind of relationship that a person who tries to be good enough has with God. God, I, I don't really want to not sleep around, but God, since you say that's what I should do, I guess I'll do it. God, I don't really want to uh, give my money to the church. God, I don't, that 10%, I'm going to write this check, and I'm going to be bitter, and I'm going to be mad about it. But God, since that's what you say I should do, I guess I'll do it. God's not honored by that. That's not who God is. I want you to also see about this. This kind of person not only approaches God as a master, they approach God thinking that God owes them something. Because listen, when you do what God says for long enough, you think that I've been good, I've done enough, I've done what God told me to do. So guess what you should get in return? You should get your wages, right? Look at verse 29. What, what is the son so mad about? He says, you have, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me a young goat. He's mad because he thinks the father owes him something. He's saying, I've been working for you for years. I've never even disobeyed you. I've done the lowest of tasks, and I've done the highest of tasks, and you've never even given me a young goat. He thinks that the father owes him something. And there are many of us who approach God the same way. We approach his throne, and when we pray, we don't pray for much, but we pray for what we want. We don't ever come to God asking, God, I just want to know you more. I just want to love you more. I just want to serve you more. You come to God praying, God, my money's looking a little tight this week, and we were going to go out and buy a, car, a new car, and that car payment's going to be kind of high. God, would you just bless me and let me, have, let me be able to do that? This kind of person thank God, thanks God owes them something because they've been coming to church. They hadn't, they've been reading their Bible. The reality is, I want you to see this, the older brother this morning, this is the whole point of the parable, is no better than the younger brother. Because why? His words and his actions show that just like his brother, he doesn't want his father. He just wants what his father has to give him. One of them came and said, Father, give me my inheritance so that I can go and live however I want to. The other one said, Father, I'll do whatever you, you want me to but can you give me my inheritance? What was the end result? They both wanted what the father had and they didn't want the father. God, if you could just give me what, what you've got, I don't necessarily have to have you. How many of us pray like that actively? But here's what I want you to understand. The older brother was in a far more dangerous situation. Because here's the thing. You can be at the lowest of the low and the worst sinner ever, but when you're down at the bottom and you're looking up, guess what you know you need? You know you need God. But up here, you're doing pretty well for yourself. You pay your tithe, you, you read your Bible, you pray, you got a new car in the garage, and you know life is looking pretty good, everything seems to be going okay. You don't think you need God that much. The older brother doesn't think he needs the father like the younger brother realizes he needs God. The fact is there are many of us who come to church every week and we are just like the older brother. We read our Bibles, we pray, we do the good Christian thing, but we don't do it because we want to know God. We do all those things because we want what God has to give us. We think that if we come to church, say our prayers, don't drink beer and don't cuss too much, then God will bless us. And that's how some of you think. You think that way. I know you think that way because that's how I think. But I want you to understand this. If you're serving God for your own sake, then God isn't your God. You're your God. Because you're trying to put, you're trying to line your own pockets. The best illustration I ever heard of this is a story 
uh, in, back in France, uh, in the Middle Ages, there was a good king. And the king uh, was fair to all his people. And one day there was a carrot farmer out in the, uh, out in the rural, rural area of town. And he comes to the king. And when he comes to the king, he offers the king the nicest carrot you've ever seen. He, and he goes to the king and he says, this is the biggest carrot I've ever grown. He had to bring it in on a horse and buggy. He couldn't carry the carrot in. It was huge. And he goes to the, carrot, he goes to the king and says, I want to offer you this carrot, king, because it's the best I have to offer. I've never grown anything like this. I want to honor you with this, this carrot. And the king looks at it, and he was so moved by the, king, the, the peasant's gift that he says, you seem to be a pretty good farmer. I have a track of land that butts up next to yours, and I want to give you that track of land so that you can do even more with it. And then the, there's, a, there's a nobleman in the court, and he sees this, and he's like, wait just a second here. He, this nobleman bred horses. So he goes home, and he finds the finest horse that he has. And he comes back the next day, and he says, Oh, king, I just want to offer you this stallion. It is the best stallion that I have to offer. I've never bred a stallion such as this, and I want to give you this stallion to honor you, king. And the king looks at him and says, Thank you for your horse. You may go now. And the nobleman's just like, hold, wait just a second, king. Yesterday, you gave the carrot farmer land, and you've given me nothing today. He says, well, let me explain to you why I did. Yesterday, the carrot farmer gave the carrot to me. Today, you have given the horse to yourself. You see, you see what he did? He, I, if I give this horse, I'm getting ten horses in return. That's how many of us approach God. We don't come to serve God. We come to get what God has to give us. Let me just encourage you with this. If you've come here week after week because you want what God has to give you, you're going to leave here miserable every week, week after week, because God is not primarily Santa Claus. We were praying this morning, and one of the ladies in prayer said that she felt so burdened because so many people approach God like Santa Claus. I had to be real careful here because I don't know who I'm talking to. But just let me tell you this. God's not a, not a person who comes down your chimney and leaves you presents if you've been naughty or nice. God is the God of all creation who demands worship, not your behavior. You may be here this morning, you may be wondering, I've got to hurry up. You may be here wondering, am I an older brother? But let me encourage you with this. I'm going to give you four things to know, think about it. This will determine if, if you're like the older brother, right? Because you're church people. You're here today. How do I know if I'm like the older brother? Number one, if you feel constantly guilty after you've sinned and you can't believe that God would forgive you, you're an older brother. Because even when you sin and repent, you've got to make sure that you're good enough for God to forgive you. If you're here this morning and you can't handle criticism from others well, you're an older brother. If you're here this morning and you have a dry prayer life, the only time you pray is not to talk to God like you're talking to, your fr uh, talking to a friend. The only time you pray is when you want something for God. You're an older brother. Or if you're here this morning and you cannot handle suffering, you're an older brother. Because here, check this out. We think that as long as we've done good, God owes us something. And then when something bad happens in our life, we're mad. Why? Because we thought God owed us better. And I, what I want to encourage you with this morning, as I was preparing for this message, this is me. I want to read you all an excerpt from my journal. I wrote this on the 13th. Didn't know I was preaching this this week. This is a perfectly God thing. I wrote this, don't judge me. This is my journal. I didn't plan on reading it, but I thought God told me to, so I had to do what he says. He said, I wrote this. I'm scared 
that I won't be the perfect husband, the perfect dad, the perfect preacher, pastor, student, etc. I'm scared to death. I'm under the burden of the law. The law says to do this, earn that, be better, do better. I'm living in Leviticus, trying my best day by day to be better. I'm enslaved. But Jesus says there's freedom. Jesus says I'm new. Jesus says that I don't have to be good enough. He's done it all. I'm free. I do not have to be perfect. Thank God I don't have to be perfect. He is perfect. He has paid the price for my imperfection. Believe that, Dallas. This is what faith is. I wrote that because I'm just like the older brother thinking, God, I'll be good. God, I'll be real good. God, will you just make sure my little girl is okay while she sleeps tonight? God, I'll be good. I'll be good. God, will you just make sure there's enough money in the bank to pay for all the bills this month? God, I'll be good. And the point of this parable, Jesus is trying to make sure that you you can understand that you could be the worst of the worst or the best of the best and you're not good enough to save yourself. You were never good enough to save yourself. Each child was a sinner destined for hell even though they took two different routes. That's because sin's not just when we don't obey the rules. Sin's when we look at God as these children looked at their father and rebel against God's authority and say, we just want what you have to offer. Not, what, not who you are for us. Then I, let's keep going. The, heart, the second thing I want you to see, that's how, so every one of us in this room is one of those two people. Sometimes we might be more like the older, sometimes we might be more like the younger, but every one of us is one of those two people. Let's keep going. I want you to see the heart of the Father. This is really important. Uh, KK's going to be super mad because I took way too long on that, but let's keep, we're going to truck. All right, the heart of the Father, here's where the story takes a turn from Jesus focusing on us to Jesus trying to describe for us what God's like. And I'm begging you, as you learn this morning about who God is for you, and think on this passage, don't let this be information coming in your head. Let this be Jesus trying to tell you how much God loves you. And as you hear it, fall in love with God, okay? So this is God's heart, not only toward those two sons, but this is God's heart toward you. The first thing I want you to see, God has a heart of long-suffering. God has a heart toward sinners of long suffering. Look at verse 12. When the brother came to the son, when the younger brother came to the father and said, Give me the share of the property, the father had every right to disown him, to discard him, to have him stoned on the outskirts of the city for how he disrespected him. But what does the father do? Well, he gives it to him. He he goes and cashes in the life insurance policy. This is this is insane. And even more, it gets even better. When the, when the older son doesn't come into the party, he is disrespecting the father again. The father has every right to go to him and say, You idiot! Come in. You're ruining everything. Your brother came home. Why can't you just suck it up and stop being such a big baby? That's not what God does to him. He says, he goes to him and says, my son, come in. He, I want you to get this. God is not a God who cast us off at the first sign of a screw-up. And praise God, he does not cast me off the first time I mess up, or the second time I mess up, or the third time I mess up. God is a God of long-suffering. And God, because of his immense love that he carries in his heart toward me and toward you, despite every time we mess up, we serve a God who's there saying, come in, my son. I, just come back in. I'll take care of everything. I'll take care of it myself. That's who God is toward you. And I want you to see that this morning, that God's not casting you off. You feel like, man, I'm such a screw up. I've messed up so bad I can't keep going. God is a God of long suffering. The next thing I want you to see is this. God is a, has a seeking heart. Verse 20. And the Bible says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. 
The father wasn't just mad. He wasn't just sitting there mad, sulking in his loss. He was actively looking for his son. For him to have seen his son a long way off, I want you to get the image. He must have been sitting on the porch. He must have been there day after day, there day after day, looking and hoping. Maybe today is going to be the day when my son comes home. God has a heart that's seeking. He is actively looking. He's actively looking for his son in the story. And some of you here today, you're actively experiencing this. how this works right now. Because get this, God's not a God who sits on the sideline and waits for you to come to Him. That's not how God works. God gets up off the bench and goes into the field and looks for somebody to save. And you, you're experiencing this because you're coming to church Sunday after Sunday, and you don't know why. You don't really like it here. The coffee's not that great, but it's Sunday morning when you wake up, you feel like, man, I should go back to church today. And I don't know why. This is, why should I go back? And you, the reason that you're compelled to come back week after week is because there's a God out there who is seeking you and you cannot help but come to Him. I want you to see this. God has an initiating heart. An initiating heart. Look at verse 20 and verses, uh, this is verse 20 and verse 28. In verse 20, He goes to the Son. Not only does He go to the Son, He gets up and runs to the Son. You and I do not have a category for how scandalous this is. In these, ta- in these days, elderly men, especially patriarchs of the family, didn't get up and run. Like this is, the people hearing this story, they would have literally been aghast. They would have been like, this story is too good to be true because no father, no male with dignity is going to run. Because guess what you had to do? You were, they wore robes back in those days. You had to hike your robe up. Right? And so this father's out there and he sees his son and he's coming. He hikes his robe up and he takes off. He has a heart that was undignified. This is scandalous. I'm going after my son. I don't care what he's done. I love him. I don't care how I'm perceived. I'm going to get him. And then in verse 28, the older son's out on the porch being a big baby. And what's the, the father do? He goes to him. He goes to him and says, son, come home. Son, just come in. I'll take care of everything. He has a heart that is initiating. God is not waiting for you to love him. God is not reluctant to love you, right? He's not just like, well, I guess I'll forgive you. You serve a God this morning that if you're questioning yourself, can God really love me? God wants to come to you. He is not hesitating in that at all. I was thinking about how I could illustrate this, and the best way I come up with was I've told y'all uh, several times about how Danny had so many problems when she was born. And after we finally got her all cleaned out and she was breathing, that hospital room is maybe the size of uh, ha- half of this space up here, right? And they do everything in the rooms now, so they were, they were suctioning her up and they were getting her clean. And there was one nurse, and she was a fantastic nurse. But I don't know if these nurses have rules like the mother has to be the, the one that holds the baby first. But, like, I wasn't about that life, okay? Like, I was trying to get my baby. And so she had already had all these problems breathing. And the nurse had this baby, and she was walking around doing this. And everywhere that nurse walked, I was just like, I was right behind her. She would take a step, and I would take a step. And it's like she would kind of hold her out from me because she didn't want me to get her. And I was just like, woman, you do not know me. You better give me this baby, right? But she actually didn't end up giving her to me. She, she held her out like this and then walked around me, and then she gave her to Jenna, which I was cool with. I was just like, somebody give my child to me right now. But I want you to think about how I initiated that. Danny, Danny didn't do anything to deserve my love. Matter of fact, she messed up being born. She couldn't breathe, right? 
Like, but I wasn't like, golly, kid, you stink. Get it together. No, I was, I was going after her. That's my baby. I'm going to go get her. She's mine, right? And I want you to picture that. That's God's heart toward you this morning, that you didn't do anything to deserve love. Matter of fact, you messed everything up. But God's sitting on the porch, and he's saying, if I could just see a glimpse of him, I'll go get him. I'll take care of everything. Then I want you to see this. God has a heart full of grace for us this morning. In verse 22, the father, I love this picture because the son starts telling, he starts, he's rehearsed everything in his head. Anybody ever, ever had one of those conversations where you've, had, you like, you, you've thought about it so much that you rehearse it in your head, right? And so this is what the son's done. He goes up and he's just like, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. And the dad's just like, bring me the rope, Right? Get the ring. Kill the calf. He doesn't even let the son stop. He doesn't even let the son speak. He just, he quietens him. And the son was coming, and he was going to try to be a hired servant. So in his mind, what that meant was he was going to try to work off what he had spent. Right? See, see that picture there? I know that I don't deserve to be saved, but if you'll just let me earn it, I'll try to get back in your good grace. And the father is having none of it. He comes to him and he says, not, I'll give you another shot, not, boy, you really screwed this one up. He comes to him and he says, somebody go get me the best robe. Now, here's what you got to understand about this story. The best robe in this man's house would have been his own robe. And I want you to see, what, see, that, see that parallel there. We sin against God, and we go back to God, and we say, God, I know I'm not good enough, but I'll try harder. And God tells us to be quiet, to hush. And then he says, I'll give you what you couldn't get. I will take the best. I will take my grace, and I will cover you in it. You were never going to be good enough, but I'll accept you just like you are. I'll cover you in grace. That's what the Father does. Then he gives him ring, a ring and shoes. Let me just make sure you understand this. Slaves don't have rings and shoes. He's saying, you're my son. You're not a slave. And then he kills a fattened calf. Now, in these days, we're used to eating meat with our meals. Back in these times, they didn't eat meat every time with their meal. Matter of fact, they ate, they ate meals hardly ever. They ate meat hardly ever. And the father is going over the top and, the, and loving this kid. And I don't want you to miss what Jesus is showing us. Jesus is showing us that God is a God of unequal, unrivaled, unbelievable, unimaginable, unthinkable, unthinkable over the top, ridiculous, extravagant grace. He's, this is just the people hearing this story could not have believed what they were hearing, because this wouldn't have made any sense. And so, to, so many times, we have, find it hard to believe that God just takes us back in and loves us so willingly. But that's what God does. On the cross, Jesus was saying to us, you are never going to be good enough. I'll give you my best. You are not a slave. You cannot earn this. I'll give you a ring, and I'll give you shoes. And he was saying, you are so worth celebrating that you came into my house that I'll give you the best. However, that's God's heart toward us. But even though God, the father in this story, had that heart toward both the older brother and the younger brother, only one of the brothers got to come in. And this is what I want to close with this morning as, I'm, as, as we're winding down. I want you to see this, that there is only one kind of heart that pleases God. We live in an age where people think that everybody should get to go to heaven. We live in a day where the only rule 
is to follow your heart, be yourself, follow your intuition. Don't let anybody else tell you what you should be. You be what you ever you want to be, right? And the Bible just doesn't know anything about this. Like the Bible is just hearing these notions and they're saying, follow your heart. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Because there is one kind of heart that pleases God. And the younger son shows us that. He, the, the, uh, the kind of heart that pleases God is a repentant heart. But I want you to see a couple things about what a repentant heart looks like. What kind of heart do I have that is a repentant heart? How do I know what that is? A repentant heart is a heart that wakes up to reality. Look at verse 17. The Bible says in verse 17 that the younger son came to himself. He literally wakes up. He's literally in the midst of the lowest valley, and he wakes up and says, God, you're better than this. And so many Sundays, there are people who come in here Sunday after Sunday, and I'm, I'm going to preach, and I'm going to preach the gospel, and the gospel is the word of God. I'm going to break down a text for you, and I'm going to tell you how, what it means and how you should apply it to your life. And week after week, there are some of you who I look at, and I want to shake and say, wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. But only God can do that in your heart. And some of you this morning, I'm begging that just like the younger son, the younger brother, you would wake up. You would see that I'm a sinner in need of desperate salvation. He wakes up to how good God is. He says, he's saying to himself, I'll go be a servant in my father's house. I want you to realize that in his mind, he realized that the lowest position in his father's house was better than anything else the world had to offer. And some of you, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you this morning, wake up to the fact that there is nothing in this world that can, the world can offer you that's better than the lowest thing God can give you. Being a greeter at this door on Sunday morning is better than being the President of the United States if you know and love God. He not only wakes up, he also has a humble and broken heart. In verse 18, he says, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This guy's at the lowest point he could be, and he humbles himself down. And more than anything else in this church today, what we need are people with broken, humble, repentant hearts. And you might be here and you might be asking yourself, how do I know if I need to get to this point? How do I know if I don't have a humble and repentant and broken heart? If you think, I don't need, I don't need to be humbled, I'm already humbled, you need to be humbled. And then the last thing I want you to see about this is that he cast himself on God. So a repentant person is a person who wakes up, they're a person who humbles themselves, and they're a person who casts their self on God. This younger, this younger son came and he cast everything he had on the, on the uh, father. He was literally saying, I have no hope in this life outside of you. And when we become a person that pleases God, when we have the kind of heart that pleases God, we will go to God and we will say, I have not one thing in this world that can save me outside of you God I have to have you and if you these things don't describe you today if you're not humble if you're not repentant if you're not casting yourself on God if you're not waking up to the truth of reality and saying you need God then I hate to break it to you but you're not going to heaven when you die because the kind of person that has this heart is the kind of person that loves God not just what God has to offer and so I want you to see this more. How does this apply to my life? Is it not obvious how this should apply to your life every day? This story teaches us who God is and how we should relate to Him. 
This applies to your life because if you don't have a repentant heart, you can't know God. Can you imagine how the younger son served the father for the rest of his life? I mean, I just can't imagine with what zeal he served the, the father the rest of his life. And I was thinking about that as, this, as I was preparing this week, and I thought, you know what? I can't imagine how he served God because there are times in my life, and I'm being strictly personal here with you for a second, that I have not wanted to obey God. I didn't want to do what God says, but there has been in me so much thankfulness and so much gratitude and so much compulsion to do what God says that I didn't have a choice. That I'm just like the younger son casting myself and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just take me back into your family. And you may be here today and you might be like the younger brother. You, might have realized, you may have realized that you've spent your whole life pursuing sin and pursuing things that dishonor God and turning your heart from God. And I'm praying today that today is the day you come and you say, God, will you save me? And this morning, we're not going to do any hands raised. We're not going to do bow your heads or anything like that. This morning, if that's you and you've realized to yourself, I need God. I need to be saved. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come stand right over here. And I, if that's you, just come. I want to come you to talk to me. And I want to pray with you that you could ask God to save you from the sin that you've been pursuing. Because here's what I want you to realize. You can raise your hand then here on Sunday morning 15 million times. And if you don't know and love God, it don't make a difference. And then I want you to say today, maybe you're the older brother. Maybe you're the person who's just been trying so hard to be a little bit better, and I want to beg you to stop. Stop killing yourself. There's an altar here today where you can come and say, God, I'm just as bad as the younger brother. I'll cast myself on you. So I want to pray for us, and we're going to have a song. If you need to come and spend some time with God today, I beg you, Come like the younger son and cast yourself on him. Let's pray. God, I love you. God, I pray that you've taken the ramblings of a foolish man and used them, God. God, there's so many times when I preach your word that I just feel like I'm all over the place. And God, I'm sorry if, if I've dishonored you in any way, Father, forgive me. But I see that you are a big God and a mighty God and a glorious God. And I pray today that your name would be honored above all else. God, I pray that those in here who are like the younger brother would come to know you today, Jesus, please. And I pray that those in here who are the older brother would cast everything on you for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.